Thank you for tuning in to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message by Pastor A.J. Fowler. and open to the book of Matthew. We can bring the house up if you would, the house lights. The book of Matthew, chapter four. Um, tonight, my target is to talk on fasting and I will be talking about fasting because uh, we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting and hopefully many of you in the house are leaning into this time of prayer and fasting with us. It's uh, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, uh, a description of what fasting is, but um, uh, I'm going to go in a specific vein in Matthew chapter 4 tonight as I talk about this. But uh, as a ministry, we do this a lot of times at the beginning of a year. Uh, I say a lot of times, we do it every year. We begin the year out fasting for, and, and praying and fasting for 21 days. And they say that anything you do for 21 days becomes a habit. And uh, uh, there, there's different ways and different types of fast that you can do. And uh, there is the, the uh, they call it the, the total or the complete fast, which is food only, uh, or excuse me, no food. I'm sorry about that. Water, liquid only, uh, no food, nothing like that. Because biblically, what does it mean to fast? What it means to fast is to close your mouth and you don't take any sustenance in that regard that would sustain life. That's how they fasted in scripture was no food. They, they refused food and uh, and then there's, there's other fasts. There is a, a total fast, which is the Esther fast. And that was three days with no food and no water because her nation was about to be wiped out, the nation of Israel. So she fasted for three days, no food, no water, and came before the king and made her petitions known. And uh, uh, that's, for most, most of you that work in the medical field, you, you'll, you can back me up on this. You can research it. Your body can only go three days without water. And this is what Esther did. Now, Supernaturally, we, what we're going to read about Jesus is he probably went 40 days. We don't know that he didn't have water, but he probably went 40 days and 40 nights with no water. And, and it's, it was a supernatural thing, obviously. He was deity, but he was also fully man. And, you know, Moses fasted for 40 days upon the mountain and 40 nights. And so there's different types of fast, but it really means to close your mouth. And it's for a, a stint of time. And I've said this before, but it's, it's a short-term season that produces long-term results. Fasting is something that you won't see the result of right now. It's a time whenever you deny yourself and when going to media fast. I mean, many of you might be doing media fast. And just for the record, so you know, if you can't find me, I haven't blocked anybody. I'm just, I'm not getting on social media. I'm probably not gonna get back on it. I don't know yet. I've seen too many rants and, and opinions and not anybody in this room, Lord willing. But I, I've just decided that I feel like I wanna, I, I wanna give that over to the Lord and just begin to focus all of my heart and my attention. I'm one of those that I go wide open. Like if I do something, I'm all in. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that I'm doing social media, I'm all in, but uh, some of you are doing media fast where you're turning off the TVs and things like that. And, and I encourage you to do that because it's, it's important. Whatever you fill yourself with, that's what's gonna come out uh, in different aspects of your life. If, if you're, it's kind of like, it's the, the garbage in, garbage out metaphor that they use uh, in, 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 in computer. So um, whatever you're putting into your body, that's what's gonna come out of it. And so many of you are fasting and I pray, I've been praying over our, our church 
that as you're fasting, that God gives you a grace to fast in this season because fasting needs a grace. It is a discipline. It's not a command. It's something you ought to do, but it's not a command according to Scripture. Um, so as you do it, you're, you, I pray that the Lord would give you grace and strength to do that. Um, but I, I want to I uh, preface this tonight with a story that, that leads into fasting. Um, it's a, many of you, have you ever heard of Tony Evans? Anybody ever heard of Tony Evans? Uh, incredible man of God. It's, uh, I, love, I love him. Uh, Pastor Philip did a, did a book on, on his one time, A Kingdom Man, and it changed a lot of you guys' life, those of you that went through it. A really incredible man, but he was talking about fasting, and he, he tells this story in his book, and as the story goes, it says that a, a strong young lumberjack challenged a respected veteran lumberjack to a contest. The young man wanted to prove himself, believing that he could cut more trees in one day than the older man. The contest began early one morning. Relying on his own strength and stamina, the young man began swinging his axe through one first tree and then another. As the day progressed, as the day progressed, he was certain he was winning because he could see the old man was taking several breaks. All the while, the young man just kept swinging his axe, felling one tree after another. At day's end, the young man stood confidently by, waiting for the official count from the older or the other lumberjacks. To his shock and dismay, the old lumberjack had cut down at least a third more trees than the younger man. In frustration, the young lumberjack conceded victory to his veteran competitor, but he, but he wanted to know the man's secret. Sorry. He wanted to know the man's secret. He wanted to know how he managed to beat him considering his age and the number of breaks he took throughout the day. The older, wiser man kindly replied, son, what you don't understand is that every time I sat down for what you call a break, I was sharpening my ax. A well-sharpened ax makes for a lot less work so trees fall faster. I want to ask you the question for many of you that's in the room tonight. Have you lost your spiritual desire? Have you lost your, are you feeling dull spiritually? Do you feel like you have no passion? Because let me tell you something, passionless people care nothing for perishing people. We have to be passionate and it's not hype. It's not anything you conjure up within yourself. It's, it's you getting before the Lord and getting into the spiritual discipline of fasting. Prayer does a lot, but when it's coupled with fasting, that's called nitro and glycerin, and there's an explosion that happens spiritually in your personal life. If you have no passion, then it's, it's not, well, you might need to fast. No, you need to fast. You need to begin to shut things out of your life because what is it that fasting does for us? It is a discipline. It's, it's never a delight. I'm gonna tell you, it's not a delight. They say that prayer is a discipline before it comes a delight. That's true, but fasting is not a delight. I don't like being without food. I love food. I enjoy food. It's a, it, I, I love every sort and type of food. I'm, I'm watching shows right now. It's hilarious because this is what I torture myself. But I get on, I'm watching a show, and just for some of you guys, I'm watching a guy named Mark Weens on Prime Video, and he is, he is touring Iran. I don't even know, the food looks like it's, if I was full, it's probably the most gross food I've ever seen in my life. But he's eating stuff, I'm like, I don't know what that is, it looks horrible, but I can just taste it, it looks, it look, I don't know, it just looks, it, I feel like it would taste good, let me just put it that way. He's touring uh, Mexico and authentic Mexican food. I know we got a lot of Mexican uh, food lovers in this house. There's no doubt. Many of you, you go, you'd go every night of the week if you could afford it. There's no doubt. 
So anyway, but I am just, but fasting is a discipline to your body. And what it does is it says, God, I don't need sustenance right now. I need you. It's not that I want you. It's, it's not a want, it's a need. There is a need in my life. And if I want to sharpen the spiritual acts of my personal life, then I've got to start fasting. It's something that I adopt in my personal life. And obviously as a ministry, this is what we're doing. I, I think I said it just a few moments ago, but a dull ax can be more dangerous than a well-sharpened ax. I'm not going into this story, but you read the, the, the Old Testament uh, you read the Old Testament story of Elisha when they're expanding the, the, the school of the prophets and one of the young men loses his axe head into the, into the water. It's obvious if he would have not known, I mean, that he would have been making a lot of noise. His axe head's gone. He's still beating on a tree. And some of us, that's what we're doing with our own personal life. We're making a lot of noise, but we're not effective. So it's fasting aligns my heart with the heart of the Father. It removes every voice and gives me clarity. Fasting gives you clarity. And I'll talk about that as I move a little bit forward. And I, I want to stay on track and wanna, uh, really quickly. But here's, here is my, my, my verse that leads me into what I'm talking about tonight. So I am talking about fasting, but I'm going to give you a, a little bit more of an a, of a in-tune subject. In 1 John 2.16, the scripture says, how many of you understand? Let me ask you a question. Do you know what you're going to face this year? Anybody, you know what you're going to face this year? I do. I can tell you what you're going to face this year because uh, it's wrapped up in a verse right here. Three things you're going to face this year. And this is the summation of everything that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna face this year. Oh yeah, we're going to face giants and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, but this is the summation of it. And it's categorized. John lays it out. John the beloved, John the revelator lays this out for you. So, how, what is it that's going to give you clarity to be able to discern what's your voice, what's his voice, and what's the voice of the enemy? I'm telling you, when you fast, you hone. You hone in. You sharpen your heart to the voice of the Father. And for me, it's, I'm, it, I'm telling you, any song, when so, it just, I can be walking through the hallway and remember an encounter I had with the Lord and I can start weeping because I remember. It's just, you, you're more sensitive. You're more keen to the spirit of the Lord. You're more aware. That's why fasting should become a discipline in your personal life. Not just for 21 days, but take it through the rest of the year. See what'll happen. I've, I've heard of some people that they took a whole year and they enjoyed chips. And you know who you are in this house. I ain't gonna call your name out. But you fasted for a whole year because you desired to grow closer. It's something you love so much, but you put it to the side so that you could say, God, I need you more than I need a bag of Doritos, which would taste really good right now, but we're gonna keep rolling. For all that's in the world, listen, three things. I'm telling you, this is what you're gonna face this year. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. God does not tempt you. He will test you, but he will not tempt you. Satan comes to tempt. Now, here's my subject. Jonah didn't know this. This was added later on. My subject is called what in the world? What in the world? And fasting is one of the weapons in your arsenal that will help you bring you into a place of discernment of focus and clarity. How many of you want to be focused more than you've ever been focused? How many of you want to be, have more clarity into the heart and into the will of the Lord into this year? Fast. How many of you, uh, this is probably not the right thing because you're not supposed to lift your left hand know what your right hand's doing, but it's kind of a declared fast, so we're all fasting. How many of you are leaning in in this season and you're fasting? How many? Let's, let's do it. Find something, put it to the side and say, God, I need you more, all right? So Matthew chapter four, 
verses 1 through 11. This is where I'm going to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this pretty quickly. So uh, Jesus shows us the power of fasting and denying yourself. He's deity. Did he need to fast? No, he didn't need to fast. Why does he, the Son of God, need to fast? Why did he even need to be baptized? He, I, he did it to let all things be as it was foretold for him to become, but he was baptized previously coming into the scripture. And it says that uh, John said, I need the baptism, Jesus, that you're given, which was a fire, which we have access to. The greatest of the prophets was crying out for a baptism that you have. Ain't that something? That's powerful. But Jesus, before he goes into the wilderness. He's baptized by the Father. Let me ask a question. What did the Father say? What did he speak over Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a word of affirmation, security. Did Jesus need it? I don't think so. I don't. That's my opinion. You'd read the Bible how you want to, but he declares this over him before he is thrust into Mark said, I think he, the spirit drives him into the wilderness, which is, I love this. Listen to this. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit. He's led by the spirit where? Into wilderness. Some of you are cursing the wilderness and God is leading you into it. Stop cursing where God is leading. That's a word for some of you right now. God's leading you into a place. What does the wilderness describe? It's a season of drought. It's a season of, uh, of, of, of let, me, let me separate the two. It's not isolation, Kena. It is solitude. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation will destroy you. Solitude means that you're with someone else. And who is that someone else? The spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him, and there's this communion. I have no doubt that's happening between him and the Father, and he's growing uh, more. In, I, I say he's growing closer because how can the Son of God be any more closer? But I believe he's laying out a pattern for you and I. This is how we do this. He's led by the Spirit into wilderness, into drought, into where he's not drinking water. He's not eating food. There's wild things there in the wilderness. There's dangerous things in the wilderness. But God, the Spirit has led him. And if the Spirit leads you, there's time. He doesn't lead you into comfort. He leads you into what's most effective for you. He's refining you. He's trimming and shaping and pruning. Does anybody feel the hand of the master beginning to form and shape you on the potter's wheel? Don't kick against it. Paul, you can't kick against what's developing you. You can't get, kick against what's cutting on you and removing you and reproving you and refining you and revealing you so you understand who you are in him and not to somebody else. You with me? I'm very passionate about this tonight. Especially as we talk about what is in the world. These three things are in the world. I got to keep going because that's just the first verse. But look what's packed in a verse. Ain't that something? It goes on to say, and, to, and he was tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was, he was hungry. I mean, that, you know, I, I feel like there needs to be more of an emphasis. And I'm sure the Greek is more colorful. And it's probably got something in there that said he was starving Marvin in this moment. Goes on to say, and then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son, what did the father say? I can't even get past this. What did the father say to him? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan shows up and says, if you are. So when you declare a fast, expect the devil. Some of you are facing it right now. When you declare a fast, you expect the devil to show up and start rearing his head, start speaking. Because let me just say this. 
The devil uses aspects of his conversation with Jesus that have some truth to it. Now, he's the father of lies. I get it. But there's aspects of this that's true. Because he tells Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, I've heard about you. He's either, he's either getting Jesus to question who he is or he's really trying to figure out who he is, which I thought he did know. I feel like he knows. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, what did Moses do in the wilderness to the rock? Anybody? He takes his staff and he strikes the rock and water flows. See, there's a measure of truth to it. Jesus, you can take the stone. You can turn it to bread. Jesus is starving at this point. But what's happening, and I believe that what we could look at this aspect of this and see here in the very first thing is Jesus is confronted with the lust of the flesh, all right? This is the very first temptation. It's the lust of the flesh. It's a desire. It's something that looks so pleasing to my eye. I love it. It's my, my flesh desire. You can look at it from aspects, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but sexual desires, it's appealing to my eye. My, my flesh longs for it. Or maybe it's because I have such a desire for finances and money has me. I don't have money. And so therefore, I continually, I feel like I, 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 I desire this. I got to have this vehicle. I got to have this. It's just, I need it. It's the lust of the flesh, but he's tempted with this and tells him, command this stone to be turned to bread. And honestly, I don't know many of you, but I, 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 would, I think I could eat just about anything right now. Um, the scripture says in Proverbs, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And I think that's about right right now. But when you fast and you begin to set yourself aside because you're crucifying your flesh, when you fast, that's what you do whether it's of your mind, will, and emotions, of your soul, of your, of your physical being, you're denying yourself of the things that you would normally have access to and giving it to God and saying, God, I'm removing this lust of the flesh from my life and I'm focusing upon you in this season. Because when you're full, you have options, right? How many of you ever went to get some? We, Crystal and I did it, uh, it, was, it was a few weeks ago. We were talking about, what do you want to eat tonight? I was like, I don't know. We're hungry, we say, but really you're not because if anything would taste good, even a McDonald's hamburger would taste great that we stay clear from, right? That's us. Um, but let me ask you this question. How long has it been since you've deprived yourself of worldly desires and set yourself aside for the work of Christ to work in you? To take your flesh, and as I spoke about last Wednesday night, put that flesh on the altar. That first altar that you come to, there's not petitions being made. It's only flesh being burned. That's what it is. So I bring myself before the Lord and I crucify the lust of the flesh. I gotta keep moving. All right, verse four, Jesus begins to, he doesn't, he doesn't insult Satan. He just gives him word. He doesn't get into this rant with him. He doesn't get into a debate with him. He straight up just gives him word because that's who he is. In the beginning was the word, but word was with God and the word was God in the same. And we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. That's who he is. And this is really model. When you read Adam and Eve, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve saw that the food was good. Uh, or Eve saw that the tree was good for food. What is that? Lust of the flesh. That's what it is, all right? So verse four, Jesus begins to combat it. It says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, and we miss over this sometimes, and I'm gonna take a moment on this, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How important is it to get a proceeding word? What is a proceeding word? The proceeding word is, it's a fresh word. It's an incoming word. It's a rhema word. Now, 
We've got preceding word, right? Am I right? This is preceding word. This has been established. This is a closed canon book. It's a preceding word, but the Lord's, but, but Jesus says, but, but every proceeding word. Now, let me just tell you this. How important is a proceeding word to Abraham? Abraham takes Isaac upon the mountain, right? He got the preceding word was take him and sacrifice him. Lays him on the altar, binds him up. We don't know if Isaac is fighting or not, but he's laying there, submitted to his father, I suppose. Isaac raises the knife, or excuse me, Abraham raises the knife. What if he would have never listened to the proceeding word? He would have killed his son. Now, we know that God could have raised him up, there's no doubt. But the Lord spoke in that moment and said, Abraham, stop. There's a ram that's been provided for you in the thicket. And that's where Abraham says, oh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who will provide. It was the proceeding word that set him up for success to come down off of that mountain and he became the father of faith. A proceeding word sets you up for a place in your life to set a landmark and say, from this moment forward, I'm telling you, it changes everything. So you're either, let me just say this, you're either walking in the preceding or the proceeding word. If you haven't got the freshly spoken word that is in this season, then guess what? You listen to what he's previously said and you're obedient to that and you walk it out. But you're constantly having your ear attuned to what he's speaking now. But if you are not, if you're in a place where you're obeying the flesh and all of its lustful desires and you're attuned to what the world is saying and what pop culture is saying, you're going to miss what God's speaking in this season. You're going to miss it. And I'm telling you, it's powerful things God's speaking right now. But you sharpen that ax by fasting, by setting everything else aside. Sometimes it's relationships that you remove yourself from for a stint of time, not your husbands or your wives or your children but for seasons of time so that you can begin to hone in on what God's speaking, especially those that are negative. So fasting clears the airways for divine proceeding words to come forth. All right, I gotta keep moving. Uh, verse five and seven, let's move into that. We're just kind of stepping right through the scripture. Verse five says, then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God. So there he goes again, if you are. But it's interesting that he takes him to the temple, a place that Jesus knows well. It's a place that Jesus has been in and out. He's flipped tables in there before for crying out loud. He's very aware of all of this. He's familiar with it. They've looked at him and called him rabbi, teacher. He's developed a name for himself. Adam and Eve were hit with the very same temptation that I'm about to tell you about. Satan begins to hit him with the pride of life. This is the second thing. This is the second thing that's in the world. What in the world? The pride of life. Here it goes right here. He said, you throw yourself down off the pinnacle of this temple. And if you are who you say you are, then you can call forth angels. What is That's pride. I can just call up my staff right now and they'll respond to anything that I ask. Pride. No, no, no. You, you, what did you come to do, Jesus? Look and see what Jesus came to do. He came to serve, to seek and save the lost. He came not to be served, or not, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. He's calling for him. Use your deity, Jesus. Pride. Because pride's hidden in all of us. May not be fully manifesting, but it's iniquity. You understand what iniquity is? It's a propensity towards something that's been, it's, it's just naturally in our, our, our DNA that we have to bring our flesh in subjection to the Lord. And then you do it through fasting, but he brings this and Satan uses a measure of truth because this is scripture. He said, if you throw yourself down, the scripture says that you'll give your angels, that he'll give his angels charge over you and they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. 
So there he goes again. He's using a measure of truth to try his best to tempt Jesus. And Jesus comes back. Now, this one, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on because I think pride is pretty uh, self-explanatory for most of us in the room. And for the sake of time, I want to keep rolling. But Adam and Eve are hit with this very same temptation. You can see this throughout Scripture. At one point, they were taught, it was said, the Scripture says that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. They're already in relationship with the Lord, but Satan deceives, and we understand that to partook of the fruit. And I want to say this, especially as it pertains to pride, because you can have more degrees than a thermometer. You can have more PhDs than, than anybody could count or even could say, spell, or whatever. And you can have all the knowledge, but if you don't have wisdom, you have no idea how to truly rightly apply what you know. And what does Paul say about knowledge? He says that knowledge puffs up. But when knowledge is applied with wisdom, which comes from God, it's applied correctly because you take what God says about what you know and you apply it rightly to the situations that you encounter. I'll move on. You guys probably got that. You probably, you're with that. But we have a whole lot of knowledge. I heard a quote one time. It says, we, we are, um, how did it go exactly? We are so full of knowledge, but we're starving for wisdom. Have so much knowledge. There's, I mean, it's at your fingertips. It's everything we have. And you have to be careful about this because knowledge does puff up. It puts you into a place of pride. All right? If I could say this, this is what I was thinking as I was writing this out, that pride leads to entitlement. Think about those that are, that are uh, prideful. They feel entitled everywhere they go. Get me a table. Walking into these areas. I'm not, maybe this, that's, that's an extreme case. But prideful people feel entitled. They feel like, hey, I, I, I should have that. And when I feel entitled, I eventually become envious of the work that someone else is the work that God's doing in somebody else's life. I gotta be careful. I gotta guard myself in that, all right? And walk them down. Last thing, go to verse eight because I wanna wrap this up and put something here at the end of this. Verse eight says this. says, and then the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. It's interesting, in a moment's time, this is a supernatural happening. I feel to say this, and I'm gonna say this really quick and on the, on the fly. If you're walking through a valley, that's not a time to make an important decision. Wait till you get to a mountain so you get clarity and perspective. Never make a permanent decision in a valley. All right, moving on. It says, again, the devil took him up on like a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, we know Satan has all authority in this moment, right? You guys have read the scripture. We forfeited it in the garden. We've talked about that before. He forfeits, man forfeits his authority that he has over the earth to Satan. So Satan can literally look at Jesus and say, hey, if you'll just bow down and worship, there's no need for Calvary. There's no need to be uh, betrayed by one of your own. There's no need to have to go back and do any of this. You don't even have to go and preach for three and a half years. Here's the keys. I'll just drop them to you and we'll call it right here. And you know, you're worshiping me. And, 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 and so what is, he, what is he laying before Jesus? This is the third thing, the lust of the eyes. He dangles before him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, here's the lust of the eyes. Now, 
The reason why I felt to insert this into a time of when we're talking about fasting is because I believe that Jesus is showing you, he's showing me that all of these things you're gonna encounter this year, maybe not having the keys to the kingdom in that regard of this, what he's referring to, but there's gonna be things you're gonna face this year. A lot of stuff, and it's gonna filter through the summation of these three areas. And if you will lean in and begin to discipline your body and put your flesh on the altar and fast, God will give you a clarity to see things for what they truly are. Is this job opportunity, this promotion, because this looks like a promotion to me. He takes him to the top of the mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, if you'll just bow and worship me, if you'll just give me 10 more hours a week, if you'll just give me 40 more hours a week, if you'll just give me this, if you'll just give, if you'll just give me your family on this altar, I'll give you success. It's the lust of the eyes. You see it? Now, Jesus could not sin. We know that. There's no way he could sin. But I believe what he's showing you and I is he's in this season of fasting. His spirit, he's, his flesh is weak, but his spirit is on fire. And he can see, he's focused. He's, maybe his brain's a little foggy, I don't know. But he's spiritually keen and he can see right through the tactics of the enemy. And what does he lean on? The, pro, the preceding word of what has already been written and he begins to declare and every time the devil tucks his tail between his legs and goes to the next temptation, to the next temptation. When I fast in these seasons of, of, in, of, of decisions and when I'm in the valley of decision, could I say it that way? And I begin to fast because I can't see. I can't get up to the mountain to get perspective. When I fast, I bring my will under submission to the Holy Spirit. And it's a humbling act of surrender before the Lord. It's humbling before God. 1 Peter 5, 6 talks about this. It says, therefore, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You humble yourself. You bring yourself into a place of submission and surrender before the Lord. Lay before him. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't see what's going to happen in this year, but I need you. I need Jesus. And I just call on your name. Jesus, I need your wisdom. I need your spirit of counsel. I need the fear of the Lord so that I can worship you and give you proper worship and stand in awe of who you are. I need you to sanctify me. I need you to purge me of any unhealthy and nasty, unrighteous thought that's in my spirit. Give me purity of heart. As I'm fasting, sharpen me, God, as the ax so you can make me effective as a weapon in your hand. I'm telling you, you gotta begin to pray and get aggressive and press in when you fast. There's things that start taking place in these times when you fast humble yourself under the mighty mighty hand of God set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you into a place of honor in these seasons Jesus in this moment Satan takes him up on this exceedingly high mountain and he asks him for worship because that's the, he fell he just said I will exalt myself above the throne of God Basically making himself as God himself. That's what Satan wanted to do. And we know that he was booted out of heaven for that. So in this time, what has Jesus done? Now I'm reading the text and my mind is racing into this, but Jesus has brought into the alignment, into alignment, the priorities of God's will for his own life as he is fixing it. Because these 40 days, we think 40 days, man, that's a long time. 
40 days for three and a half years. His ministry was three and a half years, 40 days of confronting temptation, lust of the flesh, pride of life, the lust of the eyes. And he come out, the scripture says, in the spirit's power. But fasting will bring alignment to the priorities of God's will for your life. It sharpens you as an ax. It sharpens your edge so that you become more effective. Fasting begins to dethrone the rule of demanding flesh, fleshly appetites so that we can be more easily in tune with, lead, with the following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is led into the wilderness, and I'm, Demetri, if you would come. Jesus is led into the wilderness, and that wilderness is really could be interchanged with a place called process. He knows his promise for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw what was to come. He saw you and I through the cross, through the lens of the cross. He saw you and I. So everything that he encounters in this moment, he's got a promise, but he's got to be processed. He's got to go through wilderness. He's got to go through loneliness, not isolation, but solitude where he's communing with the Holy Spirit. So he goes from promise to process, to possession. But what do we like? I want promise to possession, right? But you gotta be tested and you're gonna be tempted. The enemy will tempt you and God will test you. It will happen. I'm gonna close with this because I think this really sums everything up to this point. Satan, let me ask this question. Who took him to the mountain? The devil takes him to the mountain. He takes him to the top. Isn't it interesting that he takes him to the top? The father didn't take him to the top. What is the top? The highest position, the highest vantage point where he appears to be exalted. How many of us, if we don't have the correct and the right perspective, the enemy will tempt you and take you straight to the top? And if you don't see it rightly, if you're not keen spiritually, if you haven't been seeking the Father, we'll look and see the devil's promotion as God's promotion because our perspective is way off. That's why I'm telling you in this year, you better fast. You better pray. Because whoever's trying to take you to the top of what you think is the top, Maybe it's the top of your position in your work. Maybe God doesn't want you there, but your drive is wanting it there. Maybe God's calling you to be right where you are for right now. But you've got to see it correctly. God doesn't take him to the top. The devil takes him to the top. And whenever Jesus deals with him, the devil leaves. He has to find his own way back down. Verse 13 and 14, and I'll wrap it up right here, says that now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him forever. Can you put that up for me, if you would? Look at that. He departed of him uh, for good. No, he looked for another opportunity. So guess what? When you pass one temptation, congratulations, get ready for the next one. <laughs> because you're gonna see another one. You're gonna to continue to get tempted. You're gonna to continue to get tested. You're gonna to continually have to walk this thing out. So it's important 
that you be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's as one, he's not one. It's a promise there in scripture that if we'll submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Love Jesus that he begins to give the word and he says, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. But when the devil had ended every temptation, the scripture says he left him for an opportune time. And I love verse 14, because this is what gives me hope for when I end a fast. <laughs> then Jesus returned in the spirit and the power of the spirit of Galilee and news of him went all throughout the surrounding regions. He didn't need any advertisement. He stepped off the scene out of the wilderness in a place of power. But his, for you and I, an example that his flesh was under submission to the Holy Spirit and he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. 40 days for three and a half years, 21 days for the next six years of your life. Look at it that way. Prayer and fasting is sowing seed in the dust. It is. There's no doubt. You don't see the effects of it right now. You look down the road and you begin to see effects of it. I'll, I'll, uh, you can go ahead and stand to your feet and we're going to pray for just a few moments because I feel to pray over you, especially that some of you would catch the anointing to fast. <laughs> I would love to see our whole church fasting in this time. We need to fast. No more business as usual, but services where people are dying to get in the house because the body of Christ is here and we're seeing people saved. We're seeing them healed emotionally, physically. I mean, I, I did one time I had a vision. I was praying in here and I just saw the back walls. I, was, I saw painters having to paint the back walls because wheelchairs and, and all these things were dinging them up because people were coming out of them and, 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 and all sorts and types of things. I believe in that. I believe that God can do the impossible. To the renewed mind, even the impossible looks logical. It does. Did you catch that? When you renew your mind, you see things the way that he wants you to see them. What looks impossible to, to, to everybody else, it looks logical to me because I see it the way he sees it. And so I believe that can happen. But just to close with this testimony, do you, I don't know, some of you might have remembered this, but back in uh, 2018, uh, it was in March. The Lord reminded me of this as I was uh, prepping and thinking about this, but um, do you guys remember? You probably don't. My staff remembers, I promise you they do. I called a seven-day fast. Anybody? <laughs> we went on a seven-day fast. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. doesn't matter. It's all good. But we went on a seven-day fast. And I felt like it was for the church. I even had some testimonies. A couple people come up and tell me some, some things that were just incredible. It was, it was really awesome. Um, but that was March. I got dialed up to go to the Philippines. It's never flown on an airplane in my life. And I didn't really want to go. I'm a homeboy. I love being at home. I love my family. I love church. I want to be right here. I don't want to, but I went, um, because the opportunity presented itself. And of course, now y'all know the rest of that's history, what we've done there, what God has used us to do. Let me say it that way. Um, but, uh, so we went on that seven day fast and I've never fasted straight seven days with no food. It's usually certain fast. I'll do the, the Jewish fast, which is sun up to sundown sometimes, but that particular fast, it was, it was just water. It was water can't do without coffee, so don't crucify me, but it was coffee and uh, some teas, and that's all I did throughout that whole, no, it wasn't sweet tea, by the way, it was herbal tea, um, but for seven days, and we go into the Philippines, I had no idea what to expect, our team that goes, would you guys believe we saw over a hundred salvations, we saw, uh, I think it was like a hundred and 
60 salvations. We had over 100 people water baptized and we had 100, close to 150 people filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I remember when I was standing on that stage and we were shouting. Yes, Pastor Sherry was shouting. She was dancing. When I was standing on that stage, the Lord told me in that moment, he said, this, this, uh, this, this is the result of your sacrifice as a church. I felt like I carried with me the sacrifice of our body into the Philippines and saw chains broken. We, we, we saw a, a couple of devils cast out of people. It was the power of the spirit that broke loose there in the Philippines. And there's relationships that's been established and they're so hungry and so thirsty and so desperate for God to do something. I'm gonna tell you something. When somebody gets desperate, see, for us, a lot of times in Christianity, we're full. We've received enough messages. Well, dear Lord, we're, we're saved for eternity or for beyond eternity. But there's times whenever you get desperate and you get hungry and you get thirsty and you'll set aside meals, you'll set aside the media, you'll set aside relationships, you'll set aside everything and you'll get yourself before the Lord and you'll begin to wail and you'll begin to travail and grab a hold, for lack of better terms, the horns of the altar and say, oh God, I need you. I know that everything's good. I've never missed a meal in my life. My family's blessed. We got a beautiful home. We got vehicles. We got all this stuff. Everybody's healthy, but God, I need you. I'm full on this American Christianity and I've got to be depleted so I can be hungry for you. I'm not talking about things Get, you know, you take my home and my family. I'm just saying, God, I can't allow myself, as Proverbs says, to be full so much that I would deny you. Give me just enough. That's all I want. And I want to be hungry. I want to be thirsty. That's what I want. And that's my cry is for our church to become hungry and thirsty and more passion. We need Jesus more than we need anything. We don't need politics. We need his kingdom established here in this nation. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the message. Make sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family.